if you're working with someone who doesn't respect your family time and doesn't respect your health time or that you're going to go to the gym or you're going to take your wife out to dinner, you know what they're not going to respect when an issue comes up? You. If they can't respect you on simple things, they're not going to respect you when it comes time on a decision. So, you know, I turn my phone off at, at night or put it away. And if somebody's upset about that, I just don't work with them anymore. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. I'm glad you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop when it comes to investing here in the United States. From real estate investing to business investing to being an entrepreneur. Each show I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they've created successful businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Hopefully these guests will inspire all of you my cracking listeners, to get off the couch and go out and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, no advertising, just straight into the nuts and bolts. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes, and it's easy, quick and simple. Shows iTunes that we're creating an incredible community of loyal listeners and loyal fans who want to invest here in the United States. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can also find this show where this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. Head over to ReedGoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these shows each and every week. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the beautiful faces of my guests. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nathan Tobar. Nathan has built a life of helping others and improving lives. Throughout his own life and experiences, Nathan has acquired an incredible ability to solve problems, develop game plans, and create real and lasting results in both his personal and professional life. He has successfully founded and operated more than two dozen businesses since 1999, grossing over $150 million in sales. His experience spans the areas of commercial real estate, acquisitions, and redevelopment, automobile sales, direct product sales, web-based marketing, and strategic partnership facilitation. He has had an amazing share of his successes, but he's also had some pretty epic fails, and he's learned more from his failures than his successes. I'm really excited to have him on the show. We're going to learn a lot more about what he does, what makes him tick, and how he is so successful here in the United States. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Nathan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Good. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. My pleasure, mate. Well, I always like to start the show with rewinding the clock. Let's go take a trip down memory lane. And for you know the entrepreneurs here that I interview on this show, I always like to find out what was the first ever dollar they made as a kid. And I'm not talking about as a real estate person, but I'm just talking about what did you do making some, some coin growing up uh, here in the United States? 
Yeah, so the first, you know, real job I had, I grew up in a little town called Owens Crossroads, Alabama, right outside of Huntsville. And my dad was a preacher on the weekend, but he painted to make his living. So we always had little odds and end jobs with him. Kind of we were the gophers, right? Go for this and go for that. <laughs> uh, and he'd pay us, you know, here and there. But it was more, you know, that was part of the family. Our pay was our, our roof and our food and our clothes. Uh, but when I turned 16, my dad gave me a truck and a, a pressure washer trailer. And one of my friends from high school, we would go out to these vinyl siding neighborhoods and we'd wash one. Sometimes we'd wash the first one for free just to get into the neighborhood. And we'd, you know, in a, on a one day, we'd wash 9, 10, 11, 12 houses wow. for 90 to $110 each. And so that was kind of my real first, my own independent. You know, I had other jobs with my dad and that, but that was my first real job there. Awesome. No, it always is a great um, indicator of what, how, if you've been working as a child or as a kid, you know, it, it builds sort of the, the, the calluses on your, you know, on your hands a little bit to make sure that you're going to be, you're going to be set up right for, for, for life and success in life. So um, yeah, absolutely. Now, now walk me through, you know, the, the story from, from, from when you were a kid, what pressure washing houses, how did you get involved in creating, you know, $150 million worth of sales since 1999, a dozen businesses, real estate to online marketing. Tell me a little bit about that story because obviously the story behind the man is really, really important in terms of creating the, the, the before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up um, in a very poor area. I grew up poor, but we didn't know it. Right. I mean, everyone around us, it was a farming community. I didn't eat a piece of meat out of a grocery store until I was almost 13. Wow. So we raised, you know, we, my, family, one of the things they raised potatoes and they traded the guy down the road for corn. And so, I mean, it was just a different, you know, atmosphere, but the work ethic. And so growing up, you know, I went to high school then I went to college, played a little division two basketball, mm-hmm. um, played, went to grad school and out of grad school came out and went to work for an uh, American diabetes association. And then my brother started a, a soy company, but in stepping back one second there, my parents always told us, Look, if you have something you want to do, do it. You know, but you're not, no one's going to give it to you. No one's going to, you know, just roll out the red carpet. You have to work. You have to be determined and dedicated. And when you fail, you have to get up and brush yourself off and go do it again. Right. 100%. And so by, you know, the age of 23, 24, even in, in undergrad and grad school, I had worked for, you know, uh, various politicians. I had worked for businesses during the summer. I'd go get internships, networking, relationships. Um, People say, oh, I don't have time for that. But I mean, if you want to build something, it's not about, you know, really who you know, but it does matter who you know. Right. Because if you need money, you need to know people who have money. Right, right. Uh, If you need to get into banking and that. So from the the soy business, my brother uh, started came in as part owner and uh, we sold $80 million online in six years Wow! affiliate marketing. So we didn't have money to market the product. We had a great, my brother had created, he went to Hopkins, created a great product as uh, Johns Hopkins medical school, yep. but we didn't have any money to market it. So we found people who had customers like the 700 club, various newsletters, ediets.com, which they're still around, but people who were looking to eat healthy, And we went to them and it didn't matter who they were and said, hey, if you'll sell this product, we'll give you 10% residually or 50% uh, on the first order. And so, you know, we had over a thousand partners in less than two years. Wow. 
off of thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. You know, at first we couldn't do it because we didn't have the money to market it. So we came up with a way to do it. Right. And then from there, I, um, I ran for Congress when I was 29. I lost, met my wife, wrote a book for Thomas Nelson, started a blog, sold it to a, a publicly traded company, started a buy here, pay here car lot. And people ask me, how'd you, why'd you start a buy here, pay your car lot? I said, well, I opened up the newspaper, a car lot was for rent. You can sell a car and charge 29% interest in the state of North Carolina. So for seven years, we sold almost 8,000 cars. So I just hire people. You know, I, I idea and I run it and that. And then how I got into real estate is um, uh, in 2006, a guy walked into my office and I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but he was in a bind trying to get out of an apartment, 18 unit apartment deal. And it was really interesting because I'd only bought at that point one house, my own. I'd never flipped anything. Now, you know, growing up with my dad, we'd go in and as a painter, he might you know, tear down a wall or two or renovate something for someone, but that wasn't his main work. He wasn't a general contractor or any of that. The first five banks I went to on this deal said no. Now I had done business with these these banks for 10 plus years. One of them, you know, $80 million in and out gross. And they said no, because it wasn't what they did. But at the time they didn't tell me, Hey, we're telling you no, because we don't do that. They just told me no. But the fifth person said, well, go see this guy down the road. His name's Jack Smith. He's a little Lexington State Bank, you know, three branch type little bank. Reed, I went in to see him and um, he called me beforehand. He said, look, I want you to bring me a one year tax return and bring your wife with you. I was like, that's really weird. I've, all the businesses I've been in, all the banking I've done, no one had ever asked to meet my wife. So we go in and talk to this guy and in five minutes, he asked five or six questions but mostly all personal. And then he just stops and I'm not in a rotating chair, but he's in a swivel chair and he just turns and he puts his back towards us. And so I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, should we leave? Or like five minutes later, he turns around and hands me a letter and says, hundred percent financing, hundred percent renovations. We can close in 22 days. Wow. It was a $400,000 deal. That's incredible. 30, well, real quick on that, 30 days later, I went back to him, the 12 unit beside it was for sale, bought the 12 unit, put the 18, so 18, uh, 30 units now in eight and a half months, I renovated, got it about 80% occupied and sold it and made $252,000 on my first real estate deal that I had ever done. That's fantastic. I, 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 I want to just talk a little bit about the fact that the, the, the journey, because that's an incredible journey going from potatoes to soybeans. Uh, to soy, I should say, soy products, finding a way in to, to get things done and like you didn't have any money and we're going to figure this thing out. That's a real entrepreneurial spirit. And for all those listeners that listening out there, like that's what you got to do, right? You just got to figure it out. You know, you don't have any money to do some awesome marketing, figure it out, go, go approach some people and cut them part of the deal and to make it work. And then what you said, a thousand, thousand partners in two years or something like that. That's incredible. A thousand partners online. Yeah. And, and then, you know, once you get to a certain level and you know this and that what you do, once you start building up, you get to a tipping point that, that then people start coming to right. you. So whether you're doing marketing or raising capital, if you show yourself to be, you know, hard worker, diligent, you know, doing well, people then start coming to you. And that's so key what you just said just then is it's the tipping point. And you, as entrepreneurs, you know, whether it be in, you know, selling potato, uh, selling uh, tofu or selling cars or selling real estate, 
if you stick at it, you're professional in what you do and, you, and you're credible in, in, the, in the way you present yourself and you, and you do the right thing by your investors or by your partners or by your employees, people are going to, you're going to attract better partnerships. And I think that's so important. And sometimes entrepreneurs just sometimes forget that and understand it's a journey, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes you time. It takes uh, to build that credibility and over a period of time, that snowball effect, as you just said, you get to that tipping point and all of a sudden you can't stop. You can't, people are kicking down your door to, to ask to do business with you, right? Yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, you look at your business. So no one handed this to you. Right. I mean, we're three hours apart. So, I mean, I, you know, you're up before I, you know, I didn't even wake up today. If it had been my time, we'd have to be doing this later. <laughs> you've put your hard work in. No one handed this to you. You've built what you've done. And there's this mentality out there today that, oh, I should just be able to, you know, have some business cards printed and set up a website and be, you know, have a $10 million portfolio of real estate. <laughs> and if I can't, then I'm not going to do it. Well, that's not, I mean, Ford and Disney and all of those back through the history, that's not how it right. happened. Right. You read their biographies or listen to them, Ford failed dozens, if not hundreds of times. I know at one point he was living in his office eating like cans of beans and crackers because he didn't have any money to buy right. food. Yeah, no, I was listening to a story the other day, the Dyson vacuum cleaner, right? Everyone knows about the Dyson vacuum cleaner. It yeah. took five and a half thousand prototypes before it, before he perfected it. Like who, who, someone, I, I would have given up at like 4,000, you know, <laughs> but yet to keep going, right? It keeps, it keep, keeps going. But, but anyway, we digress a little bit. But I, the reason we, I, I want to bring that up is just because you have, you seem like a guy that has just got some real um, great character and great charisma about you to keep going the where for all, to, to, to identify opportunities and then make sure you go and execute on those opportunities, right? And I'm sure with like anything, because with your successes, there's been some failures, right? And, and I want to get a little bit into that. But before we do, Go back to the flipping business. You, you, you'd you flip these these apartments. Did you have any idea about what you were doing when you just went, oh, there's, there's 18 units. Hey, hey, bank, bring my wife in. Uh, you, you give me 100% financing. Did you have any idea what, like how to go about doing it, what you had to kick out tenants, all that sort of stuff? I mean, I knew the, you know, principle of business, you know, income and expenses and, uh, you know, I knew enough how to run that. Being in the car business, you know, you sell something, you take your payment. So, I mean, it was... There were some similar numbers, but after the day I closed the deal that I sold, I went out to a friend's house. She was having a fundraiser for a local group and she's developed Food Lions, which is a, a grocery store chain in the Southeast. And she, as I'm walking out, she says, hey, Nathan, and she lives in a couple million dollar house, so very successful and says, hey, what was the cap rate? And I'm like, like, the roof kind of comes together like this. <laughs> that little ridge and she's like please tell me you didn't do it ended up selling for a little over eight hundred thousand. she said please tell me you didn't do almost a million dollar deal and not know what a cap rate is <laughs> i've known this lady for a long time and she knew on the look on my face when she asked me i didn't know <laughs> so the second deal and this is the amazing successes epic failures i turned around and bought a 12 unit complex about two months later, and I lost $150,000 on that deal um, over an 18-month period. Because, as you know, in doing stuff, there are things that you need to know. There are things that you might not know that you should know, and one of them was zoning. Right. And, you know, I took an attorney's uh, notes, and I took a surveyor's notes that the property was grandfathered in. 
if, if anybody doesn't, you know, grandfathering is, is built a long time ago. There's new code, but it's not, it doesn't have to be brought up to the new code because it's, <laughs> they had divided the property two buildings a couple years before I purchased it. So the setback, mm. the space between the buildings for fire code was 25 feet. Now it was 40. Right. So, but I didn't know that. And I didn't ask anybody about it. I wasn't in an investment group or anything like that. So I went and bought it. The next day I went to pull my building permits. And they were like, we can't give you your building permits because your setback's too close. I was like, what are you talking? So we went out there. I mean, it was a nightmare. I had to buy a tenth. I paid 225000 for the entire complex. I had to pay seventy five grand for a tenth of an acre. Wow. It had a building setting on it. I had to wait for it to be torn down. I had to put in new parking lots. I had to put in new driveways. I had to take 24 unit, one bedroom and condense it down to 12 unit, three bedroom, two bath. I almost never did real estate again, but I was like, I can't end on that. But you know, it's not the, normally in, in real estate and in life, it's not the big things that get us at the beginning. It's the small little details. Right, exactly. In one little five, so I tell people, if you don't ever hear anything I say about real estate, hear this. Call the zoning department, get it in writing, on letterhead, stamp, signed, that the piece of property you're buying is zoned for what you're buying mm -hmm. it for. 100%. Because if you don't, and it's not, you can't do anything with it until it's rezoned. Right, right. And rezoning, for those people who don't know, it takes a long time. And depending on the county, like some counties here in Los Angeles, forget about it. Like rezoning is not a thing. Like you, you, you know, you have to, you have to abide by the rules. So it's, it's a fantastic lesson. So what was the big, you know, your takeaway there uh, besides that getting the zoning together, were you lucky on your first deal uh, somewhat or were you, and then on the second deal, it sort of the rubber hit the road and you sort of had to pull your socks up a little bit in terms of understanding what you needed to know before acquiring an asset. Yeah. So what I learned, yes, I was very lucky on the first dealer blast. You know, I just kind of right time, right, right place. Didn't, you know, things didn't go, nothing went wrong. What I learned is in what I apply today is when, when my focus becomes just making money and I don't look at the nuts and bolts of what a deal is and I look over things or, or through things or around them, if your focus is only money, you're most likely not going to be pleased with the right. outcome. Because if you're not doing your homework, if you're not running every part, you know, from due diligence to, you know, tenants to you know, investigating police reports and housing complaints. Now I do class C, so I'm doing, you know, high deferred maintenance, high occupancy. You know, some of the stuff you might have to do with class A and some others, but you should know everything from A to Z about a piece of property or real estate that you're buying. And if there's something missing in there, you've got to analyze what that right. risk is. And, and I would imagine that the people that you surround yourself with, because like the example you just said, you didn't know what a cap rate was. You thought it was the pitch over the roof. So having the right team would you know, enable you in the future to make sure you don't make those mistakes again. You don't have to know everything, but it makes sure that team around you, the surveyor, the GC, your property management team, calling up the local, you know, getting your attorney to call up the local city council to make sure that they, you know, the zoning, those people can help you avoid those mistakes in the future, right? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, too, I learned, don't be afraid to ask right. a question because I used to think, oh, you know, if I ask a question, someone's going to think I don't know what I'm doing. Right. No, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, it was my money, my personal guarantee 
So I kind of put my pride, I put my pride to the side now and say, I really don't care what somebody thinks about me. I need to know the answer to this question or these questions and, you know, ask them in a nice way. But too many people today go, oh, I, you know, I want to ask this, but I don't want to offend anyone, but it's business. So just ask it in a nice way. And if they get offended, don't right. do business. And, so, and the thing is, if you're going to, my philosophy is that there's never such thing as a stupid question, right? It, there's, 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 there's only the stupidity of not asking the question. Right. And that's and that's you cutting off your nose despite your face because you're wanting to look more professional or you want to look like you know what you're talking about. I always if I don't know a question or something, an answer to a question, you know, I always start the question by saying, you know, excuse this, this silly question, but can you answer blah, 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 blah. And, and, and you know, just explain it to me in layman terms so I understand it or something like that, that that way you can break it down. You break the communication barrier down and there's no, there's no ambiguities. There's no misconceptions. There's no miscommunication and you can get the answer and off. You can make the decision. As you said, you're personally guaranteeing this loan. So as business, it doesn't matter if you look stupid or not. It's the fact that you've got your neck on the line and you need to make, you need to get the answers, right? (laughs) Because you you know what's going to happen. You're going to look really stupid. If you don't ask the question and then it comes back to bite you later and you're the only one that's going to be holding that stupid right. sign, right? Because you're the one that's got, got to resolve. You know, when I got into the $150,000 loss on the second deal, there was no one else to cure right. the problem. The attorney had, you know, indemnification. The title company wouldn't cover it. It all came back down mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, 100%. And then you, and you're left holding the bag. The owners always have left holding the bag. And I've been in situations where flipping houses, we've had issues with GCs and stuff like that. It doesn't matter. You can point the finger anywhere you want to point, but it's actually needed to point it yourself because that's where the, the blame obviously lies. You didn't vet the property, you didn't vet the, the team around you, whatever it might be, in, in order to make those mistakes, which you won't make again. But sometimes you have to go through those failures in order to know, okay, I'm never going to make that mistake again. And, 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 and so, right. so with that, what, what like you, you learned about the zoning, what other mistakes? Because... You've had such a vast array of different businesses. Surely there must be some common thread between all of them that you've noticed in terms of what you see maybe either you've failed at or you've seen other people fail at, but whether it be selling tofu online to buying and flipping houses, there's got to be some sort of commonality, right? Yeah, the the common string for me and, and with other people that I've worked with that I have found, when I've made my you know greatest mistakes is when money was the only focus or the major focus. Um, and we get those gut feelings. We get that intuition of, you know, this something's not right here. Something's not. But then you go back to your paper and say, well, but I could make, you know, $500,000 here. Or I could make 100000 or 50000 or $5 million, whatever the amount is. But there's a question over, you know, there's a question mark and you don't know what it is or there's 10 question marks. And so ignoring some of those, you know, kind of educational moments or asking questions or digging in because you're afraid if you dig in, you know, you might find that there's Mm -hmm. an issue. Well, then if there's an issue, you can't make that money. And so, you know, like a deal idea, I think it was the fourth or fifth one. um, The rent roll said it was collecting $28,000. But I knew like if it was collecting that much, why would they be having a fire sale? Because if it was collecting that much, then it would be cash flowing like ten grand a month. Well, what I found out after I purchased the property was only collecting seven thousand a month, and they had falsified the rent roll. So I thought, but then I learned per law, 
the rent roll is not a verification of how much rent has been paid. A rent roll is just a regurgitation, restating of the facts of what the lease says. And a lease doesn't mean that's what they're paying or that they're paying. It just means they've signed that they will mm -hmm. pay that. So while the rent roll said 28 grand, the actuality was only collecting seven. Well, I mean, that threw a whole monkey wrench into my, you know, budgeting. But I found out in my, you know, I've had an email business. I've had, you know, clients that I've gone in and I've signed contracts with and we didn't get along before we signed the contract. Well, if you're already arguing with someone before you ever start doing business with them, imagine what it's going to be like after you do right. business. Right, 100%. And it just doesn't get better, right? When you start on the wrong foot, it usually ends on the wrong foot. <laughs> and so... Right, so don't... Be all about exactly. Money. No, I think that's that's a very good takeaway. And I've been just jotting down some notes here as has been going. But but just just dive into that a little bit more because those people who are listening out there. So, how did you verify, or what was the verify verification steps you went through in order? Okay, well, this is what I thought the rent roll was, but this is the actualities. How did you how did you put those two together? So after that deal, the only way I can put things together now is bank statements. So if someone comes and, and we're looking at a deal and we're trying to put it together and they say, we, we were collecting 10 grand a month. Here's our rent roll. Here's the leases. Great. Oh, and here's our tax return. You know what the IRS doesn't care about? They don't care about if you fluff your, your tax return. They only care if you cheat right. on your tax return. Right. So I want to see bank statements. And if they can't provide bank statements or they hand the bank statement, say, oh, well, you know, we only deposit $7,000 a month with the other 3,000 is cash mm -hmm. and we keep it. I can only give them credit in that deal for 7,000 a month. If they can't verify, because, you know, you can go to Staples or Office Depot and buy a receipt mm -hmm. book and sit there and backfill it no, in can. for a year. You can. You can. There's a lot of ways to forge things. It's, it's, it's very important what you just said there because so many people go out looking, particularly at the sort of mid-sized mid multifamily between 20 and 50 units where it may not justify getting a property manager on board or that you may be buying this property from a mum and pop who have very, very shoddy P&Ls. Um, but I know with, with our large properties, we go and do a yard. Most of the large properties we buy have Yardi. You go into a Yardi report and we can our property management team goes through it and does what's called prorations and understands what's the income, what's the expenses, and it's all verified through Yardi. But that's on the bigger, more professionally run properties. On these smaller stuff, I think it's very important that you just said, ask for the bank statements because it's so important and you can, as you just said, $3,000 down the drain. It's it, it, I, you and I know both that brokers like to fluff things up and, and sailors like to always put it, those rose tinted glasses, put them on to make sure they're looking at that property in a great way, at a great light. But the reality is that if you don't have the money in the bank account, it doesn't exist. And I, to your point. Yeah. You know, the other way that sometimes we'll, we'll resolve that if, if it's a good deal. So if that's one of the only issues I'll say to someone, okay, if you're $3,000 short, then put 12 months, $36,000 in the escrow account with an attorney. In each month, oh, that seven thousand. If I collect nine thousand, you get two of your thousand back, and I keep a thousand. So we, I keep them honest by well, if you say it's ten and you can only verify seven, I'll move forward. But you've got to secure that three thousand a month over with an attorney. The difference, and then every month, whatever the difference is, you get back, and I keep the rest. So if we collect all three thousand, they get their three thousand back. That's a very interesting strategy. So just to repeat that for anyone who, who might have missed that, um, Nathan requires, so they go into negotiations with the seller. Uh, it turns out that there's $3,000 short on the payroll or in the bank account. 
would you get them to reduce the, the sales price of the property by 36000 or would you get them to put their own money of 36000 in escrow? What would you do? No, so, for you know, if you reduce it, you're not getting the money. The bank's just taking right, off the top right. of your loan. So I always like to put it over into an escrow account with the, held by an attorney or a title company, depending on which state you're in. So that money is mm -hmm, actually mine. Mm -hmm. Don't collect that in rent. It comes to me. The bank's not getting credit for it. I'm getting credit for it. But it's a credit that the owner pays to you, correct? Right. So if the owner is going to get $200,000 from the sale of the property, he gets $200,000 minus the $36,000 yep. that went over into the um, attorney. Yep. And, you can, and, and for all those people listening, you can do that via your title company and make sure the attorneys agree to it. And if you got it in writing and the person agrees to it and... It's, it's easy. So the next question is, how many people have you done that with and how successful, how, how back uh, forwards incoming, how backwards incoming in forwards have they been in that approach? Because that's a pretty big ask for, for a seller, yeah. right? Well, so, you know, in that, anytime you're asking for, you know, for that, or if you go in and doing your due diligence, you find deferred maintenance that wasn't disclosed or it's more than what you think. I don't ever, you know, call someone or text and say, hey, I need this. I put together a report that says, you know, we thought there was this. We thought there was ten thousand a month. The information you've provided shows there's only seven thousand, so we're three thousand short. And here's a solution that I have to this plan. I'm open to discussing it with you. So I don't ever come at them hard. I don't come at them, you know. I, I wanted to either do it face to face or through a broker and explain in writing where I'm coming from. So there's no miscommunications because that's normally where fights start or arguments start is someone thinks you're accusing them of something and you might be, but you don't need to because it's business. So, you know, I take the approach and go to them. Everything is verified in a report so they can see why I've come up with my numbers. hundred percent. I think that's so, so key. And one of the underlying themes, if everyone's listening is communication, 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 and it's yes. so important and people can get, as you said, offended or, you know, get the feathers ruffled up when someone sends an email and caps or something like that. And it's all about effective communication with, with one another and being professional. So um, Nathan, I know that you have had a lot of, with the, with the, the failures and successes you've had, it's trying to find that balance in your, in your life with, with all the businesses that you've started. You're an incredible guy with, with a lot of experience. Talk me through that balance and how you've been able to find and perfect it because a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly myself, um, you know, uh, my, myself included, at, at times in the past, I've put the business above other things and that has caused issues because, you, you know, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not taking care of your family or your loved ones or whatever it might be. And in fact, personally for me, I've had to what I, I look at my priorities and then my goals. My priorities are health, um, you know, love with my family. Um, I want to be, you know, uh, grateful and stuff like that. And actually, wealth, the bit, the business part, comes last. And, and I want to hear your perspective on that sort of finding that balance. Yeah, and so you know, for a number of years, I did not do very well with that. During my, right. you know, thirties up to the age of forty, um, you know, started out, you know, hey, you know, my my wife and my my health. Um, but this creeps in, you know, money, um, greed or whatever you want to call it. And the thought becomes, and it's really easy to happen, um, especially with the real estate, because most of the programs I see out there say, hey, you know, sign up and do this and you can be a millionaire within a year. 
<laughs> Gosh, avoid that. <laughs> right. yeah, avoid those at all costs. Can you? Yes. Statistically, can you? No. It just right. doesn't happen that way. Unless you already have $10 million sitting in a trust account. Yes, you can be a millionaire in real estate. Just yeah. take a million out of your 10 million trust account and go buy a complex and then you're right. a millionaire in real estate. Right. But the thought is, is, well, if I make money, then I can take, I'll have the time to spend with my family and my faith and my health or whatever you want to spend it with. The problem is, is if that is your foundation or that is your goal, the more money you make, the more you spend. Right. Then the more you spend, the more you have to make. And mm -hmm. then you're vicious hamster wheel cycle. And when that happens, you start spending less time with the people that you love or your spouse, and you stop spending less time with your faith or your health because it's all about the money. Mm -hmm. And if you are spending time with them, you know, I used to walk around Disney World or even went to took my wife to Europe for 10 days and I'm on the behind them with my phone like this. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to make someone mad or you want to hurt someone's feelings, be present around them, be physically present and mentally absent. Yeah. Yep. And then they're asking you saying, Hey, what do you think about this? And you go, huh? What, yep. what do you what do they? Yep. I mean, then it's like day over, right? Yep. No, I, I, I've been there. My wife grills me. I, I have to come and uh, 7 PM it's on airplane mode. The phone has to become on airplane mode. And, and, and it's so important uh, to realize the priorities because uh, I've actually just had some recent loss in my life and it's been tr very tragic, but you also get to realize how fragile life is. And I, I, there's a, there's some quote out there, but someone was, uh, you know, we're all in a rush, right? We're rushing through school to get to the next thing, to get to high school, to get to grad school, to get to the job. And all of a sudden we've got to rush to get to our 65th birthday so we can retire. And all of a sudden our life's going to be great. Right. And the, the analogy is, is that he, this, this quote is about using, um, we enjoy a song, right? We, we, we enjoy the whole song. The songs are beautiful. They, they, we go through a bit of a journey. And if, if we were going to, if every song was based on the last chorus, you, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not the decence of a song. And so what he was trying to get at is that your life is like a song. Enjoy the journey. You enjoy every single part of it. And being an entrepreneur, sometimes you can lose that goal and you let things cloud your vision exactly what you said about not being present or you're focused on money or can't put it down and if you can't identify that in yourself as an entrepreneur i personally think you're you're setting yourself up to fail would you not agree you're never and even if you succeed and have money mm -hmm. you're still going to be a failure because no one's going right. to like you right. no one's going to want the most miserable i've ever been in my entire life the worst i was 42 pounds overweight I was on uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety wow. medication. My wife, while she loved me, she didn't like me very much. <laughs> My daughter was stressed out. was when I had the most money. Right. I had 13 right. businesses. They were all doing well. But, I mean, I was just, it was all money. You know, had two boats and RVs and five cars and mountain houses. And, I mean, it was just from the world side, from a money, monetary side, was kicking it. Mm -hmm. But internally, I mean, I was a mess and my life was a mess and everybody's like, oh, I want what you want. And I'm thinking, no, you don't want what I want, what I have. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I want this. And here's here's the foundation. Like, you know, you talk about turning, putting your phone on airplane mode. When you come back, have you missed anything? Right. I mean, major? No. I mean, no. I mean, and here's the thing. If, if you're working with someone who doesn't respect your family time 
and doesn't respect your health time or that you're going to go to the gym or you're going to take your wife out to dinner, you know what they're not going to respect when an issue comes up? You. If they can't respect you on simple things, they're not going to respect you when it comes time on a decision. So, you know, I turn my phone off at, at night or put it away. And if somebody's upset about that, I just don't work with them anymore. Yep. Yeah, it's, 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 it's establishing boundaries in relationships and partnerships not to, to make sure that you are successful, to prioritize, you know, the, the right people in life. And, and it's, again, for everyone listening out there, you know, we all, we all start with that, oh, let's, I want to get to this goal at the end of the, the top of the mountain. We're all climbing to that one goal. The problem is when you get to the top, what are you going to do? <laughs> if, yep. you, if you're not enjoying the journey and you've, you know, flogged yourself to, to, to the nth degree, you've lost your family, you've lost your loved ones, but you've made some money and you've got to some point at some pinnacle, who cares, right? It's, you have to be success across all facets of life. So Nathan, with that being said, once you've identified, you had the 13 business, you had all the boats, you had the houses, what did you do? Was it a, was it a mental thing that you had to sort of re, reconfigure your brain to, in order to make you think differently about money? Like how, how did you come back from the ledge of that, you know, uh, you know, potential doom? How did you do that? Well, you know, it was, um, for me, it was, a, it was a spiritual thing. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian, so mm-hmm. I have a relationship with God and I wasn't out doing anything that I would consider, you know, bad. I wasn't out cheating on my wife. I wasn't out getting drunk at the bars every night. Uh, but I just wasn't living life the way I should. I should have been putting, you know, her for, I should have been put, putting her first and spending quality time with her. And I should have been spending time with my daughter and spending time with my faith. But I had gotten to the point where I was doing everything for me, my pride, my arrogance, my stubbornness, uh, my patience was zero. My forgiveness was zero. So, you know, if you crossed me and did me wrong, I was going to, you know, get my attorney and sue you. <laughs> If you didn't do what you say you were going to do, I was going to sue you. I mean, it was all, again, about money. So the best way to have money is to enforce what you say you're going to do. Um, So for me, it was an internal mental side of, hey, you know, I got to forgive people. You know, I got to let go of this bitterness mm-hmm. and whether you're a Christian or, or not bitterness, being angry, being hurt. I mean, it will tear you up. You will eventually become, and I did, someone had done me wrong many years ago. I became what I said I would never become because I let what they did in business affect me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as time, it just continuously, you know, took over. So, I mean, you've got, people are going to do you wrong. You're going to do people wrong and they're going to do you wrong. You've got to go and ask for true forgiveness and say you're sorry and try not to do it again. And when people do you wrong, you've got to let it go, either, you know, get it right with them or just move away from them. Right. And so, but most of this was mental. Yes. Most of it was 99.9% of it is, you know, it's embarrassing. What are people going to say? What are people going to think? And I finally just came to the resolution that, I didn't care what other people thought about me. And you know what I learned after I came to that conclusion? The things that they thought about me weren't very nice anyway. <laughs> because I said, oh, I'm a Christian, but I didn't act like one. Right. So they thought I was a hypocrite. And I was. Right, right, right. No, it's, it's, what, it's you find, what you'll find in most people who are out of balance, they'll be like, oh, everyone, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and I, I spoke to a group of college students the other day, and I said, if it's you or any of your friends, if you're the one who's always in conflict, 
You're the one who's always arguing. You're the one who never can get along with people. Let me tell you something. It's not them. It's you. Right. Right. It was me. hundred percent. And what I think that equates to a little bit is, is we're all, there's some, I've read some studies which were quite interesting about the, the mind, the brain and how the brain works in, in terms of being in a state of stress, right? And, and, and a lot of people experience that with being an entrepreneur and making money and all that and conflict and all that sort of stuff and, and allowing your mental self to, to, to just take a step back is so important. And, and even in my, my development as, a, as an entrepreneur, I do a little bit of meditation of a morning, but just take, having some quiet time to release the brain of that stress, of that chatter, you know, because you chatter, 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 and, oh, that person did this and blah, 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 and allowing yourself to not sweat the small stuff. I think that's so important yeah. and, 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 and allow forgiveness. And just, again, I'm always treat people how you want to be treated. And, and if you can't have, give them the respect that they deserve, even if they're being an absolute idiot, you know, you, you have to be the bigger person. And sometimes it, it ekes you up or whatever, but you have to be the bigger person. So I think that's, that's absolutely incredible. You know, that, that, you know, whether you go the Bible or any, you know, Chinese proverb, there's that kind of that thought, the mentality of, you know, the man who argues with a fool is a fool himself. Correct. Yes. There, if, if you're at odds with someone and they're upset and they send you an angry email or text, sending them an angry email or text back is not going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. It's going to go. <laughs> and now, you know, now they were angry or they were upset. Now they're angry because you told them something that might have been true. But the way you said it and the tone you said it in didn't matter that it was true. You insulted them. Right. Hundred percent. You know, and in that line too, you know, in this mind, I've read a lot about it and got a degree in psychology and and others. When we get in a situation that we don't know the answer to, or we're in a bind, or we're in trouble, or we're stressed and we're anxious, something about the mind says, "Don't talk to anybody about that. Mm-hmm. You know, go to your corner and just stay there." But what you need to do is go find someone or someones and say, "Hey." I've got this issue, whether it be personal or business, because what you'll find is the perception, the third person, that what they can see that you can't. And man, it happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm trying to figure something out in my mind and it, I'll run it you know, for a day or a week or a month and then I'll mention it to my wife or just someone random. They're like, oh, have you thought about this? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I mean, right there in front of me was the simplest, easiest solution to the problem. But but because I hadn't asked anyone, I was just trying to solve it myself. So if, you know, if you're dealing with something, a business deal or whatever, get with someone and talk to them about it. But see, to deal that, you know what we have to deal with? We have to deal with our pride, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 100% pride and ego and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because for me to admit to someone that I have a problem means that it's me. But you know, everybody has problems. We're, we're human. You know, we, we're, we're, we're human, and it's okay to make mistakes. Is I think the the underlying theme of today's show. But uh, Nathan, what what what's the biggest piece of advice you could give to real estate entrepreneurs or anyone out there listening to this wanting to get started in order to be successful? Given how much experience and how many ups and downs and the mental anguish you've had and the 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 the, the realization that you have to change the way in which you have your balance in your life. What is the biggest piece of advice? 
the biggest piece of advice is, is develop a business plan, an investor packet. Who are you? Because I meet people all the time. They say, I'm a real estate investor. Okay. <laughs> what kind? <laughs> you know, land, single family homes, mobile, you know, trailers, apartments, commercial. And people all the time, they're like, you know, I can't raise money. I can't find any deals. I can't, but they're just, they're using the shotgun approach, mm -hmm. right? They're just going out in they're, they're not defined themselves. They don't know what they want to do. So they can't tell anybody else what they want to do. So no one's going to invest with them. No one, no realtor is going to return their phone call and then they get frustrated. Right. So if you're starting out or you're already in real estate and you want to grow more, develop a business plan, a page, two, maybe three. It doesn't have to be 300 pages. Just, you know, who are you? Where do you want to do your investing? What kind of deals do you want to do? How much money do you need to raise? How, you know, who's your contractor? Who's your, you know, who's going to do all this stuff? Right. Because if you go to ask grandma or you go to ask a business partner for $50,000, they shouldn't have to ask what kind of real estate you want to do or where you want to do it. The question should be, what kind of return am I going to get and what type of profit am right. I going to make? Right. And, and how many, well, the assumptions and how have you made sure that you protect my downside, all those sort of things that make you credible in the investor's eye. Make right. you credible. Right. Right. That, that right there is... You can't be taken serious. You can't be taken as a credible investor, real estate investor, if you've not taken 30 minutes or an hour to do a business plan. Right. In our, in our minds, it's like, oh, that's really hard. It's not hard. Go to YouTube and search how to write a business plan. <laughs> right. It's all free. I mean, there's five. There's, there's free. There's five right. minute videos. Go to Fiverr.com or I don't know yeah. if you do. I do some stuff. I, I help people and things like that. I mean, there's free stuff out there. Or you can hire someone. Stop, stop letting the fear of what will people think or maybe they say no or what. I mean, put your plan together, start meeting with people and then adjust your plan accordingly to the feedback you get. There's the second part. Most people don't want <laughs> feedback. And they don't, they don't. They don't, I'm right and you're wrong, so don't tell me any different. Well, if they don't invest with you, you're not obviously exactly. not right. And, and people put so much emphasis on when they develop that packet that they're going to pitch the first person and all of a sudden they're going to start investing. There's going to be a lot of no's and there's going to be a lot of feedback and that feedback is good because if you're getting feedback, it means that you're engaging with them on another level and that's and that, and that, that helps. Yep. And it just it's not about the first pitch. It's about the thousandth pitch that you give. Yeah. Yes. And it's also about... I've made pitches to people on deals that they said no, but three deals later Correct. they said yes. Yes, yes. Just because you pitch someone, don't don't burn a bridge. Tell them thank you for their time. Could you have some constructive feedback and stay in touch with them? Hundred percent. Well, Nathan, I want to be respectful of your time, mate. Uh, we've you've covered some incredible ins and outs of your journey. Uh, we, we, I always like to ask my investors who come on the show to give me their top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. All right, mate. What is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, daily habit for me is keeping a running list of what I need to do to better myself or better something that I have going on. And, 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 I, and I assume that would be across the, all the facets, love, spirituality, and business? Yeah, you know, personally, professionally, financially, physically, and spiritually. Yep, yep. 
you know, spend time, you know, I go to the gym. I had just had some neck surgery, so I've been out for a little bit. But, you know, take care of myself, eat right, spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, also, always trying to move a step forward in what I'm doing. And if I get, if I get called in something and I, I feel like I'm, I'm stale or stagnant, you know, turn the apple cart upside down and try something different. Right, right, right. What is the most, who is the most influential person in your career today? Uh, the most influential person in my career today, honestly, is my wife. That's great. There's something about a woman's intuition and their their ability to see things in a, a unique fashion. And it used to, honestly, it used to aggravate me when my wife would tell me things about business. Because I was like, well, I mean, what do you know? Right. You know, type. But, right, right. It, but it, they really bring, you know, your significant other. Who knows you best? Yes. Yeah. And they know hopefully the, person, hopefully the person you're married to, you know, or, or you're, you're with, hopefully they're the ones who know you the best. If not, then you need to spend some time with them. <laughs> um, so that she, she is, she has become over the last three and a half, four years, my most trusted to go to and say, you know, this is what I'm considering doing. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm writing, or this is where I'm thinking about doing or, or partnering or, or that and letting her look through it right. and then taking her, wisdom her guidance from no and i think goes back to that um that balance again bringing your asking someone's opinion particularly your loved ones i've also found that in my myself that my wife isn't necessarily she's in she's in her got her own businesses and stuff but bringing her to be part of my business and asking for her opinion and her advice and her feedback it just goes back to that balance again you know you're you're engaging with people and again it's not the it's a pride thing you put the pride and the ego to one so say hey what do you think about this like give me give me honest honest feedback and and criticism because it's it's important well we know we love our our wives and who is going to be the most honest with us right i mean they're not sugarcoat it they're not going to (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) mate what is the most influential tool in your business and 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 when i say tool it could be a digital tool it could be a, a your phone it could be a hard a hard a hardware what, what is that most uh, techie sort of tool that you have? Yeah, the um, the most tech tool I have is a, just a simple, it's a free app. It's called any.do, A-N-Y dot D-O. Um, I am a, was a horrible person of anything that was around me. I would write little right. notes on it to do, or I would write them an, e- an email to myself or a text. So I was spending 30 minutes, an hour, maybe two hours a day trying to find what, where, where was my to-do list? Right, right, right. And I, I went through several different apps, paid ones and all. And this is just a really simple one. It, you can go in and it does a lot of things, schedule things and all that. But this is just like today, you know, I need to do this. And at the end of every day, uh, I sit down and I type in everything I need to do tomorrow so that when I get home and lay my phone down, I'm not having to cycle through my mind. Oh, I need mm-hmm. to call. Oh, I need mm-hmm. the email because I've already gone through that and put it all in there. So when I get home, I, I can relax because I've, you know, you, I'm sure you've been there. And if you're there, it's horrible. You come in and you try to relax. You're watching a movie or you're hanging out and you're like, yep. oh, I need to. And then you, it breaks right, the whole right, movie. Right. And it goes back to that, the balance of, of work-life balance and understanding these little, these little I call it hacks. So I still use a, a planner, um, an everyday planner, but, but making sure that you've got the, the to-do list out of your mind for the day, for the next day, so that you can be present. That's really important. Exactly. So, mate, yes. I know we talked about a lot of failures, but is there any other failures? What has been the biggest failure to date in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? 
Yeah, you know, the, the biggest failure has, and I talk about this a lot, but has been that desire for money. Yeah. Um, and I say, you know, to people now, don't ever compromise your integrity for money. And there's, there's you know, obviously there's right and there's wrong and there's the gray line. There's the, well, the contract says this, or I think my partner feels this way. And, you know, as we, as you grow and as you make more money, you're going to have more people looking to be involved with that, but they're also going to be looking for the mistakes. And, you know, over a 10 year period, I spent over $500,000 with an attorney either suing Mm -hmm. or being sued. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think I ever lost, I did go back and look, I don't think I ever lost anything in the real estate. I know I lost one on a, on the car lot deal one time on a repo, but you know, if you're at that level and everything is at a conflict, the, the driving of that conflict is right. that you want to keep the money and the stress that it causes and the break in relationships, it's not worth it. No, it's not. It isn't. It's as said, money, desiring money over your health and your life and your, your family and all that sort of stuff is, is just so, so incredibly stupid, but I'm glad, I'm glad we so I hate to, I hate to beat that drum, mm-hmm. but that is kind of, I mean, miscommunication and money. And then if you put the two together, I mean, it's just, it's a ticking time. Bomb. Right. Right. No, I think that's so, so incredible. Nathan, to, to wrap up the show. Where can people reach you? They want to reach out to you, ask you more about what you do, find out a little bit more about the products you sell or anything like that. Where can they, where they, where can they go? Yeah. So uh, my personal story, and uh, I do kind of some work-life balance seminars and training sessions is Nathan Tabor, and that's T-A-B-O-R.com. And then my apartment stuff, I have an online course and I have a free book that people can get. That's uh, they can click on a link at NathanTabor.com or they can go to apartments.NathanTabor.com. Dot com and it has all the information there as well fantastic man we're going to have all that in the show notes guys so remember to click on the podcast tab and check out the show notes nathan i want to thank you so much for dropping by it's been an incredible conversation today we've, we've gone through a little bit of real estate a little bit of your personal stuff but i think it's the, the big takeaways for me what i learned from today's conversation with you is again the miscommunication part is really important and, 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 and making sure that you are communicating in a professional manner in order to be effective in your communication. It's okay to ask dumb questions. It's okay to, you know, it's business. It's okay to not know the answer and to go out and find the, those answers, but also having the right communication and not that conflict communication that you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, the greed thing I think was really important putting money above everything else and causing your life to be stressful is not the way to go. And, and as entrepreneurs, we want to, we need to learn to enjoy the journey and all of us have to learn to enjoy the journey. And I think the, the last one is don't sweat the small stuff. I think that was another real big takeaway. Yeah. Uh, did I, did I miss anything out there? Nope. That that's in, you know, it just on the real estate side, do your due diligence. Don't, don't overlook that and, and spend time with those you love. I mean, you made, you made that point of, of, you know, just having a recent loss and that, you know, yes, money can help in a lot of things, but money won't solve broken hearts and money doesn't solve, you know, quality time and things like that. And that's, that's critical. If you want to be truly successful, don't wake up with a pile of money and no one around you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's because once it's, once they're gone or the, the, whatever is gone, it's you can't get it back. So it's that's that's the hard part. But Nathan, again, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you.
Thanks, appreciate it. Well, there you have it, guys. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some awesome advice and actionable steps. Remember to hit up, uh, click on the podcast tab to see all the show notes from today's show. Um, hit go to readgoosens.com. Uh, everything from Nathan's uh, or from today's show from Nathan's website will be up there. Any free books that he has, please head over to his website. Uh, if you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes. And you can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Guys, we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.